Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. This is part two of episode 265. The first week of spring football, we had to break it into two parts. So make sure you have listened to part one. The whole theme is the 10 most important Buckeyes for spring football. Part one ran down the whole list. We also talked about the Master Teague injury. This part is the typical Q&A where we have some more input from our tech subscribers, but we also answer questions about other things that you ask. And there's also a lengthy ongoing discussion about whether people have napkin stacks in their car. So again, an unusual week. We would have been at three hours. I had to break it in two. The first 90 minutes was the list. That discussion, Top 10 Buckeyes for Spring, this 90 minutes is a Q&A. Make sure you listen to both. And as always, thanks so much to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. I'm Doug Maurice. Get ready for me, Nathan, and Steven for another 90 minutes on your favorite Ohio State podcast. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk with our questions from the friends of the pod. But before we do that, let's run through the guys. We'll run through our top 10 list one more time because there were some guys that we had on our list that you didn't have on your list. So, Nathan, who was on your list that we didn't mention that the texters had? Uh, at number 10, I had Tommy Togiai. Number 9, Harry Miller. Number 8, Demario McCall, I would probably, knowing what I know now, sub Steel Chambers in, actually, at that spot. Uh, number five, Jeremy Ruckert. Number four, Tyreek Smith. And number two, Cam Brown. Man, you were on an island out there. Um, <laughs> how many How many did you have that the Texters did have in their top ten? Four. Four. All right, mine, I had Demario McCall at number ten, Tyreek Smith at number five, and Cam Brown at number four. Who, who did you have, Nathan? Uh, Steven. Uh, I had Julian Fleming at number ten, just based off of what we saw yesterday. Um, DeMario McCall was number nine. Harry Miller was number one, two, three, four, five, six. And Cam Brown was number three. So I didn't have Harry Miller because, like, I don't think, like, left guard is all that important of a position. Um, I think, like, the Cam Brown seven banks discussion, there were so many people who voted, like, DBs. Yeah. People are really interested yeah. in this. And all of a sudden, just because Cam Brown wasn't there and Seven Banks was, like, I'm now in my head operating on, like, is Cam Brown going to be the slot corner? That slot corner spot is, like, it, it was maybe hard to characterize in a ranking like this. Super important, right? Right. 
And I begin, I, I, part of this was affected yesterday, getting more confident in, in seven banks. I'm now just have now all of the uncertainty uh, defensive back or a bigger portion of it now goes just on finding that slot corner. What? Is it Brown? Is it Tyreek Johnson? Is it Marcus Williamson? Like we we really don't know. It's very wide open. And right with now. Ken Brown and Sean Wade not practicing yesterday, if like seven banks was going to be like in consideration for the slot, he would have been in it yesterday. Right. He would have had some rotation or something. Yeah, Unless maybe they are rotating on day two or something. But like, yeah. we, that's the was, other thing. We're making a lot of assumptions. He was, based we are, but you would at least like, you just, at some point we would have seen it yesterday. I will say, I, cause I wrote about this this morning. Ryan Day was kind of very noncommittal talking about how it's wide open. You got to find the best three guys, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of that quote, what did he say? He said, he mentioned Sean Seven and Cam. Which of those, if those three, if one of them should go inside? So I think they think they know who the top three corners are. Well, I think everybody would assume that now. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Because Tyreek Johnson is next, and then it's young guys. Then it's like Marcus Ryan Williamson. Watts. Well, that's true. Marcus Williamson. Yeah, Marcus Williamson, he's he's number one slot guy, but it's just like he's not one of their three best corners. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's, we'll have to do that. It's And when you go out and actually are able to watch practice, you see what people talk about and the difference between guys who are out there and guys who flash. Seven Banks flashed. So let's do this final thing. The guy that the texters didn't rank, but I think we all ranked him. Did we all rank Tyreek Smith? Yes. Yeah. I had him five. Would you Four. And would you have him, Stephen? Two. Okay. You had him the highest, Stephen. Why is why is Tyreek Smith number two for you? It's year three of like the Larry Johnson school of defensive injury. And like last year, I mean, like he dealt with some injuries, but like I like I think I've said it on this podcast. Like I think he could have been like the Taekwon Lewis. You know, to Chase Young's Bosa. And, like, he just did not have the opportunity to do that because he was hurt a lot of the year. Well, like, if he's healthy and I'm, like, no one's going to be Chase, but, like, he's got to, like, it's he's got to take that step. If he's healthy, he's got to take that next step as a defensive end under Larry Johnson. He, this is a top 50 recruit. That's why he, he's higher on the list than, like, I didn't rank Zach Harrison, and we had a Zach Harrison discussion, just because Tyreek's a year older, yeah. and I think it's a year more of expectation. Zach doesn't have to be the best version of Zach yet. Tyreek and, does. And we didn't get to even last year, I don't think, see Tyreek Smith at his full potential. Yep. So. And, and like, Tyreek's had more injury problems yeah. than Zach has had. Like, you just saw, Zach appears to be, like, on a path, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas Tyreek has had a little more twists and turns just because of the injury, but... I think the world of like if Tyreek Smith is like the next dude when you run through the list of great Ohio State defensive yeah. ends, no one's going to be Chase Young. But if he's reason, if he's an All Big Ten, if he's Tyquan Lewis, and he's a junior, like he should be. Yeah. If that's what he is, awesome for them. If he's not, then you're back as we talked about with Zach. You're just back in this mix of guys where you have a lot of options. But I think we all believe we talked about who can be elite, who can be elite. The two guys at defensive end who have the best chance to be elite are Harrison and Smith, right? And we just expect maybe that Smith takes the step because he's been around an extra year. Yeah, three of the ten guys on my list are defensive line guys, and then Baron Browning, a fourth guy. I just see we talk so much about this secondary, but Ohio State has to have disruption up front to take some of the pressure off of that secondary. And you saw Chase Young and Jeff Okuda worked in tandem. Right? Yeah. You have a great corner. You have a pa- great literally, pass rusher. Literally, like the Nebraska, they literally worked in tandem. And then no, nobody can throw on you because <laughs> yeah. you have no time. And if you do throw it, the guy knocks it down or intercepts it. All right, let's get to the texture questions again. If you want to take part in this, we'd love to have you jump aboard. Um, it's, it's really simple to do. We've made it more simple than ever. Um, it, like it's, I, I, there's just people who want to be part of it. And if you haven't done it yet, 
um, this is a time to do it. So you can go to cleveland.com slash OSU for more information. I'll also drop the number later on. We're going to start off from the 813. This person's list was Wade, Teague, and then the entire defensive line. Honestly, there's not one player on that line that would scare me if I was an opposing coach. And that's what I talked about with those sack numbers, right? right. I think... I think that's fair. Like again, I think Tyreek and Zach have the potential to be scary, but right now, would you agree with that? That no one scares you for sure? Yeah, I, yeah. I think there's an element to that. I also think though that if if you look at this defense, what's potentially the best way to beat Ohio State in 2020 is if you can come in and run the ball and keep the ball away from Ohio State. And that's why I think the defensive interior and these linebackers getting that situation solidified. Obviously, they have some returning starters there and seem to be in an okay position. But if there's, if question marks start to creep into that unit, I mean, they've got to find a way to come in and lock down the run because that's going to, I think, be the, we talk, again, we talk so much about the secondary, but I also think sneakily, if they can't stop the run, that potentially makes them more susceptible than if it's teams just throwing the ball on them. 614-350-3315. 614-350-3315. Text that. You'll be part of the friend of the podcast text discussion, 14-day free trial. We want to get into the napkin stacks. Do you guys have napkin stacks in your car? Yes. I I have a dwindling napkin stack in my car because I am now in a situation where I don't get as much fast food on the drive as I used to. I, what? I, I don't get as much drive through fast food anymore. Because you made a lifestyle change? Or because you no, live because in the city I and live you in, stuff? I live in Columbus, yeah, and I don't have to. Like when I lived in Lafayette, um, it, it's very, you know, it's a it's a big, you know, chain restaurant fast food kind of place. And I'm just coming and going from the office to, you know, going to interviews and stuff, you're always doing it. And especially when I lived in Indianapolis and was still covering a team in, in Lafayette, Indiana, same same thing. You're just having to kind of grab things on the go. Here, that's not necessarily as much of a case. I get to have breakfast at home and then go to interviews and then come home and eat. Or sometimes we go to McDonald's, but I don't take a stack of napkins out with me. So the, the thing that I liked about this discussion is that don't you have things in life where you think like, I'm weird, I do this thing, and then you find out that Everybody like the whole it. world does it. Did Stephen, did you know that the whole world had a napkin stack in their car? Or did you think you were just doing it? Oh no, I knew it was the entire world. Um, most of, we people in my life, we only go to Chipotle now if we need napkins. Like, so that's what Devere Posey's tweet said. So, yeah. so that is a. Have you ever walked into a Chipotle, grabbed napkins, and left? No, because then it's like you that's can't. Stealing. Yeah, you. That's <laughs> just stealing. Like you got to at least like you give them the common courtesy of giving them your money. So we will get through the. There are people. There's a lot of different ways people approach this napkin thing. Um, but I didn't, it's like, I'm very big on it. Like my kids and my wife kind of think I'm weird. Cause like in my car, I always have 50 napkins, but then like when we're driving the family van, it'll be like someone needs a napkin and like, we don't have any. And I'm like, well, if we were in my car, we'd have a napkin. <laughs> so I didn't know that the whole world did it, but that's why I felt so connected to this from the 813 napkin stack is on my center console. I get the most from Chipotle because I grab a ton from my house and my car. Here's their question about the team. If the defense struggles, how much of it will be because of their inexperience versus Kerry Combs' inexperience in being a coordinator? So it's a young team with Kerry Combs being a first-time coordinator. Again, this is another thing that people like to ask about. We touch on a lot. On a scale of 1 to 1,000, your level of worry of Kerry Combs as a first-time defensive coordinator. 46. So, like, almost nothing. Yeah. Like, 101. Yeah. Because, like, Jeff Halfley, again, was a first-time defensive yeah. coordinator last year. And I think the way Kerry Combs explained um, 
what he learned. I'd give it like a 200, but still not on the top of my list. I'm, I'm holding out a little thing of like, whenever someone is doing something they've never done before, even if they're really qualified, I wonder about it, but I don't think it should be at the top of your worry list. Brad from the 419 had Teague Wade Browning. I typically have a stack of napkins in my car. Chipotle used to be a great source because the napkins were stacked out in the open, and it was easy to grab an inch-thick bundle. But the Chipotle near me recently switched to a napkin dispenser where each one needs to be grabbed separately, whereas before, acquiring an obscene number of napkins could be achieved with one discreet pinch. Now the customer's conscience is tested with every Pull. That Chipotle got smart. Yeah, Chipotle. You know what Chipotle did? They um, reverted to the old newspaper honor box technology advance because it used to be you could just open the front of an honor box and take out a stack of newspapers, and then they a lot of them went to this technology where you can only pull out one at a time. It was like this really kind of annoying, awkward thing to try to pull it through this little slit and get it without like, wrinkling up your paper. That. Well, not the newspaper one because that's this that'd be ridiculous. But like with the napkins thing, you just put your fingers. Inside the little slit, and you pinch with large pinch, and you just pull. But you have to have. Do you have little fingers? I have big fat hot dogs. Really oh, no, hands. I've got skinny. I've got skinny fingers. You do have. I have. You have really frighteningly small, small hands. Yeah, yeah, I've got. Yeah, I've got nice little. So dexterity right helps there. Oh yeah, because I do it. I've done it at McDonald's a couple times, where it's just yep, just a little pinching. All right. Uh, from the three three zero. Hey Doug, no questions. Nor responses to what you asked about, but wanted to say the podcasts are just so good and entertaining that I feel a calling to support Buckeye Talk with an actual financial contribution. Keep up the good work. Well, we appreciate that. You can sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Again, if you love the podcast, that's a way to do it. And like we sent out probably like six on Monday, because it was the first day of spring practice, and like the minute we got off the field and we were allowed to send anything, we started working on stories, but I sent three texts right away with everything important that we saw. So this is a time to get that instantaneous stuff. But in the end, if you love us talking about the team and you want to support us like that, and we appreciate it so much, the texts provide that opportunity in a way we haven't really provided it before. Just so you guys know, I mean, the, the way that we try to operate is the first thing we're supposed to do is text you guys when something happens. Breaking news happens. We're supposed to be texting you first. That the first anybody, the first you hear about this is supposed to come via text. And it doesn't keep us from doing our other job because right. the whole point of text is it takes 30 seconds right. and you get it 10 seconds after we send it. Whereas when you have to put up a whole story and do all the writing, it takes longer. At the, at the combine last week, as soon as we were done with an interview, I turned around, brought it up on my phone and texted you guys what we just heard. Sometimes it was really interesting things. So From the 941, Baron Browning, Josh Proctor, Master Teague, and for Doug's sake, at a fourth, Demario McCall. I appreciate the Demario <laughs> shot off. Um, from the 614, do you think Jalen Gill has a legit shot coming off an injury? Jalen Gill was at number one on my list to the texters of the most interesting guys going in. And the minute that I saw Garrett Wilson in the slot, it's like Jalen Gill ceased to exist for me. You had a point about this yesterday, Stephen. Jalen Gill was on the side, injured yesterday. Mm -hmm. He has not popped yet so far. He's a top 50 national recruit. But, like, where do you think Jalen Gill stands now, Stephen? I don't know if it's going to happen for him at Ohio State. And that's a... I, that's treading on like because these are still kids and you don't want to go that far with things but like injuries happen and like we don't know how serious his injury is or isn't but he had like a same a similar thing going on at the fiesta bowl practices where he didn't practice and he said yeah i was good i just had a little tweak here and there and like 
There is a part of like being an athlete where it's just like having a dog mindset and like every little small tweak can't be like I'm sitting out, especially I think when you're in a position where a lot of these 2018 kids are where it's like you've either been blocked or you just haven't like blossomed and had a chance to get on the field. And you're very close to getting passed up by like a very deep freshman class with some guys who are competing for starting spots and multi- not just a wide receiver on the offensive line and other places as well. There's opportunities for these guys. And I like Garrett Wilson being in the slot. Like, yeah, you were really, that's, that's ridiculous. But that's also I mean that Jackson Smith and Jigba, the first time we talked to him, yeah, they have me in the slot right now. Like, that's your spot. That's the spot that you committed here to play. And like, we've heard two guys, one's a sophomore and one's a true freshman who have already like informed us and we've seen in practice that are already in that position because you were on the sideline. You were hurt. You had whatever you had going on, but like, there's gotta be a click in your mind of like, if I'm hurt, or if I'm injured, and I don't know if necessarily and, that exists right and, now. And, and, like, we don't know. Everyone knows. Yeah, we don't body. know. And so you might just have terrible luck. He might yeah. be super – I mean, he easily could be super-duper-duper duper injured and just have terrible luck. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, they are moving talented recruits younger than him to his position. And that in, can't be uh, easy for you to watch, especially if you genuinely are hurt and use nothing But whatever it is, it. I mean, in the end – his he has to show something this spring, yeah. or I think it's it's going to be that he's been passed by. So but, let's move on from that. But but some of the Garrett Wilson in the slot stuff, as much as it maybe makes sense for Garrett Wilson to be there, is also affected by the talent that they also still have on the outside. It's about just finding a ways to get the and, best guys and, on the and, field. And, and it doesn't feel like Jalen Gill is like when you talk about it, all the talent. Right, that he's as much. Right, he's in the same. He right. was ranked three hundred spots higher than Chris Olave in the yeah. same class. You know, Chris Olave is a sure thing, and Jalen Gill is sort of like this mysterious guy. So I, I just feels like this is his spring, and on the first day of spring, he was on the sideline hurt, and a five-star recruit was at his position, and that's a tough a tough way to start mm-hmm. spring. Yep. Um, from the 3-3-0, it's Seven Banks, Petite Frere, and Master Teague. They have a stash of Subway napkins in my company van, and we had a, a run of McCall questions that I tried to push together. From the 330 asks, is it time to give up on Demario McCall? It seems like he's been hyped forever with little to no output. From the 386, they say, my most intriguing player is McCall. It felt like I should have seen time against Clemson when Dobbins was hurt. I don't understand why he's still at Ohio State if he's not going to get playing time. In my mind, he is a new world running back. He can run and receive out of the backfield. So, like, this is, I think, an interesting, like, it's the dichotomy. Some people, and Jalen Gill and a lot, Demario and Jalen Gill are, like, if Jalen Gill ends up on the Demario path, which is you were a super highly rated guy from mm-hmm. Ohio, and you just kind of got lost for a variety of reasons, Demario's a fifth-year guy. Like, is it too late for him? Uh, I was surprised how enthusiastic Ryan Day was talking about making sure Demario McCall is involved. I don't think he's a between-the-tackles tailback, but what did you think of what Ryan Day said about him? I thought it was really interesting because he insinuated that this is a plan that they thought of last year, that he was a guy that could help them at multiple spots. He could be a running back. He could be a, a slot guy. Um, I hate using, we need to get away from H back. I know they like to call them H backs, but they're just slot guys. They're slot receivers. Um, so, and, and that they wanted to use him that way last year. And instead, JK Dobbins was so good. KJ Hill is so good. They didn't feel, and I think that's reflected a little bit in the usage. Cause I remember going back when I wrote that story a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago now about this kind of Frankenstein monster you could put together in the backfield. I looked and Demario McCall had, 
a handful of carries early, like first half carries. When I say handful, I mean a small handful, like two, three, four, and they all came within the first few games of the year. So it wasn't like he was a afterthought as a first half of the game, first string while the game is in the balance running back. But Dobbins was so good, there became no question very early in the season how good Dobbins was, that there really wasn't a reason to keep giving him carries in that scenario. Now there might be. Now with the running back situation the way it is, maybe there is a reason to find a way to use him again. I think one of the major differences between Demario McCall and a lot of these other guys who may have been blocked is like him going back and forth between rooms and like they, it always seems like they've tried to find a way to get him on the field. Well, whether it's worked or not, they've always, this is not new. Ryan Day talking about Demario McCall, like this isn't a new kind of concept. They've always tried to find a way to use his skill set. And like this might just be the year where they can, they can finally actually do it. The one thing that the way Ryan Day talked about it, and that's, I mean, when the coach talks, you have to listen. It's like sometimes look for ulterior motives. I don't know what the ulterior motive is for him to be right. like enthusiastic yeah. about we need to get tomorrow involved. Right. He's a fifth year guy. It's the spring of his fifth season. Like right. he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and at so, that point, he's not even talking about he isn't even talking with the knowledge of Master Teague being out for the right. spring. But he's yeah. not it's not like he's trying to prevent Demario from transferring or he's trying to I mean I think I think he actually means it and they're trying this last gasp to try to do it. So, you know, you could be skeptical about it because it, they've said similar things before. But when they said it in the past, you could be like, well, they're making, trying to make sure they keep him here because mm-hmm. he might leave. But now it's like, it's, it's past that point. So I kind of believe it, but I also don't know exactly what it would look like because he's like the kick returner, but nobody even returns kicks anymore. Right. You're just yeah. back there to fair catch it. So he has to have an offensive role. I want to believe it, but I'm also skeptical. Let me ask a completely outrageous question. I mean, is there any scenario in your head where they institute something in the offense where now he becomes a running back that they really ramp up how much they throw to the running back? I mean, every time you throw to the running back, you're not throwing to Chris Olave, Garrett right. Wilson. But it's, it's, I'm just saying it's a, way to get, it's a way to get running back production. I mean, they threw a fair share to J.K. I mean, they like that screen game. That screen game really works. They've run it really effectively at times. But he might not. Yeah, So you like, have to he? have that in the package. But... But it's one of those things, again, I think every coach values versatility. You can't be at the point where it's like, well, when DeMario McCall's in the game at running back, they're only going to throw it to him. Right. Because you can't tip stuff. Obviously, if you can't, yeah. If you can't run between the tackles when you line up at tailback, then you can't be thrown to it that way. And to be like a wrinkle guy, he's an offset H-back. He's not – that's not really getting it done either. And I think, the devil's advocate, the other, the other thing that gives me pause is – He's a solid return guy, but it's not like he's breaking off. It's not like he's Devin Hestering out there. Right. I mean, we don't see him necessarily separating and exploding in those situations either. It makes you wonder if that would really happen. Once again, Garrett Wilson has gotten in the way. <laughs> that's what happened. I mean, that's what happened. That's what happened at Ohio State. If you, if you don't get it done, there's a guy yeah. who's just as good at or better one. than you coming yeah. behind you. Um, from the 937, um, big deal about the running back duo. They also thought Proctor and Cam Brown were important. I do have a napkin stack in my truck. I usually keep them from Raisin Cane's, as it tends to be my go-to fast food place. Every time I'm there, I always grab a big stack anyway, since the food is always hot and has some grease. Yeah. That, I think, does increase how messy the food place is. Gives you more reason to take the napkins without Five getting guys. like a side look. Yes, Five I mean, Guys is one hundred percent the best. If there's example grease there. stripper down here, or like you know the burritos falling apart in the car. Yeah, need, I need eighty four napkins from Chipotle. There are definitely fast food <laughs> places that I just don't even get drive through from. Like I'm not going to eat it, or even attempt to eat it while I'm driving. Five Guys would probably be on that list. Um, their question yeah. from the nine three seven. Um, 
They want advice going to the shoe for a game. I've never been to an Ohio State home game and would love to go to a Big Ten home game. I've only seen them play at Michigan State and in Indianapolis. The tickets always seem so expensive at home, and you have to know someone to get decent seats without paying an arm and a leg. Would you suggest going to the Skull Session to maximize the fan experience, or is the atmosphere in the Big Ten home game enough to put it over the top? So as I've said it again, if you're thinking about this, go to the spring game, go to the spring game, go to the spring game. Um I think you have to take part in the stuff outside because, like the pregame, the pregame band stuff is good, but like the shoe inside, like in the concourses and stuff, is just a big concrete circle. You've got to soak in some of the stuff out there. So we've always encouraged go to the Blackwell Hotel about three hours before the game. You can hang out. You can see some of the families standing there. You can walk with the players to the skull session, which is about. Two and a half hours before a game, do that, then walk with them to the stadium. There's fun stuff out there for kids in front of St. John Arena. Don't, if you ever, for anyone who's going to an Ohio State home game for the first time, don't park your car, get out of your car, and go straight in. That is a mistake. You've got to soak in. There's more to soak in the outside stuff, and there's no point. I mean, until the players really get out there and warm up and stuff, which is only like an hour before the game, there's nothing to do in there. So yeah. don't get in the stadium early. Soak in outside. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I kind of feel like the experience inside Ohio Stadium, since I'm not emotionally attached, is kind of fine. And the experience outside of Ohio Stadium is really special. The experience inside is cool if you have a little kid and you want to see you know, Justin Fields warming up. I mean, the band is great. Well, yeah, but like, but like other than the that's band, not, that's not until like what ten minutes before. Yeah, there's not, when a, they start there's going. not a lot of. I like, mean, that's not where it is. Like you can no. look up and you see the Woody Hayes plaque and yeah. the Heisman winners and stuff, but you've got to be outside. From the two one six, they had Zach Harrison, Josh Proctor, Master Teague, napkins in the glove box from all fast food restaurants, mostly Chick Fil A and Wendy's. Will the offensive play calling look more like twenty eighteen than twenty nineteen? Field slinging the ball around to all his receivers and an iffy running back core make me lean closer to 18 to 19. No need, need to have Fields run the ball too much until the end of the season and possibly in the playoff like Dabo did with Deshaun Watson. That's the question. Let's make this about, I mean, w- with all this running back conversation, if you were the coach, how much would you lean on Justin in the run game? Right? And we don't have to put a number on it, but like, does Justin become in this world, in a world especially that maybe doesn't have Master Teague, does Justin Fields become your number one running option or during the no. season, or is that too risky? No. That's way too – it's too risky. It's also like, not the best use of him as a talent. He's a he's a pocket passer before he is a runner. Yeah. Yeah, contrary to what people may believe. But, like, I do think there will be some times <coughs> where, like, early in the season where, like, he – like in, in, like, zone reads, he'd give to, like – JK, even if that wasn't the best decision, and I, I, and I think we all kind of just like thought that like some of that was like Ryan Day, like hey, get, we want to. I think that might get reversed at times, especially in that Oregon game, where if like <coughs> it does come down to Master Teague's not playing and like early on, like Justin feels like the ball is better off in my hands, or he might keep and try to make a play. I think the one big thing about it is like, will Justin Fields running be the third and short play? Because that's what a part of the discussion yeah. is, and we always again. JT Barrett, QB power, QB draw on third and three. They did that all the time. Last year, you handed it to J.K. Dobbins. Mm-hmm. You handed it to J.K. Dobbins. When Dwayne was the quarterback, a lot of times they were throwing some stuff. They'd throw a little route to K.J. Hill maybe, or, the, or they would run it. Dwayne wasn't going to run. That's So, A, a lot of these discussions are, well, how – when you're playing the crappy teams, the eight or nine teams on the schedule who have no chance to beat you, there's no reason to run Justin Fields at all, yeah. right? It's And then, as you see, like Trevor Lawrence running the ball changed the game against Ohio State. So you see what a quarterback who can run, how much of a game changer it can be when you need it. So I think every, our expectation is like, 
he, you're not going to run Justin Fields against Rutgers. But I think possibly, like, Oregon. to beat Michigan. And, like, again, we can go through Oregon, Penn State, Michigan, right? I mean, you go through the games. Yeah. The five hardest games on the schedule, I think it – but I think it might be whatever you want to say, the tough games. In the tough games, right now, if you had to say, who is their best run threat? Who will be the best best run threat on the field? I would – even before the Master Teague thing, I would still say Justin Fields. So then, like, you have to run it, right? If he's the best run threat. So he might be one of these things where, like, in the five – against the five toughest opponents, he averages, like, 16 carries per game. And against the he gets seven easiest – he averages four carries yeah. a game, which they never quite really got to the point where it was like they really leaned on him. They would use him more, but they never really leaned, leaned, leaned on him in the run game. But to beat great teams, they may need it. Are you talking about 16 designed runs per game in those in those Zone games? read where you keep it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just one of those, like, Man. what does it take? I don't know. I don't Man. know. I mean, J.K. J.K. Barrett had games where he, J.T. Barrett kept it. Had ran it twenty five times sometimes, so I don't think we'll get to that. Right, but I, I do think in those bigger games, if like he's reading it and he see and he looks at like the options of I can give it to whoever the running back is, and like it, it might be better to give here, but I know I can get more. That's the point, and that okay. is the thing on third and two against Oregon. If you're running zone read in that situation, and the read is mm-hmm. like. They're all attacking the quarterback, and Day might tell him that. Which but was you might keep it anyway. And they, like just like like last year, Day was probably. Yeah. I don't like, listen. I give it even at times where it doesn't seem like you should. This year, it might be keep it even when you shouldn't against yeah. the best teams. That none of that sounds like a trend that helps a team win a national championship to me. I think that that spells if, potential problems for the offense as a whole. But if that's reality, but if your running back isn't great, what's the other option? Yeah, that's your your quarterbacks can get pretty beat up. I mean, but I mean. Again, they not, yeah, he's, JT then, Barrett would got did it for five years and survived. And we're not saying like he's not going to do it twenty times. It'll be like a third and short, and it's the fourth quarter with six minutes left, and you need to get a first. And tier. a lot of people who tackle Justin Fields end up getting beat up themselves. Like he is, a he's big, a big dude. Thick, well, and, well that's true. that's fair. And actually, that scenario you're talking about, where it's like maybe a third and medium, and you can call a, a quarterback draw or something. That that's really interesting to me. That's where I think he could be a real weapon. We saw that at times last year. And that's that's the thing is, I mean, the question's going to be like short yardage. What you would call like a running down. What will they do? Right. Yeah. Will I mean, if another team stack in the box, I I I want Ohio State will will need to get to a place where multiple All American offensive linemen and one of these running backs can get you two yards. Yeah. You're right. But like that's true. Where we're at right now. Ideally, Justin might keep it, even if like that's probably not the best thing to do in that read because he's the better option to have the ball in his hands. And it's 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 a hard balance. It's like, well, you might have you know you have to beat Oregon and Penn State and Michigan to stay in the playoff race. Yeah. But if Justin Field doesn't one hundred percent when you get to the playoff, then are you really going to have a chance yeah. to win? So um, it's going to be the same discussion. I think taking J.K. Dobbins out of the out of out of the roster and now maybe Master Teague changes how Ryan Day has to think mm-hmm. of it. Even a, at least a little bit. Or maybe they just RPO it. Yeah, they tried RPOs in the offensive line with <laughs> two years ago. From the four one five, they had Teague, Seven Banks, slash Tyreek Johnson, and then Zach Harrison. Napkins, I for sure keep a stash of napkins in the glove box. Almost all of them come from Chipotle because for whatever reason, Chipotle's napkin dispensers do not force you to take one at a time. Except, except we just one. had the story of their switching Except it. one. 
They let you take a small pile with just one grab. I only I end up using two or three from the pile, so the rest get added to the glove box stash. From the 330, they went um, Petit Frere, the receivers, and then Tyreek Johnson. No napkins, but I have some empty water bottles. Uh, did Tave, this is a question from the 330, and I looked up some of this. Did Tabor Johnson's year at Ohio State have lasting effects with the lack of recruiting? Will we feel bad? Um, will we feel that bad cornerback recruiting class, or do you think Ohio State recruits such talent that young guys will bridge the gap in their first year? So I looked this up because I, I actually prepped, and here's the deal. Tabor Johnson was here in 2018 as the cornerbacks coach, in between Kerry Combs and Jeff Halfley, who was only here for one year. He had been here previously under Jim Tressel. Um, not an exactly inspired hire by, by Urban Meyer. They did not recruit a cornerback. So he's here the 2018 year, so it's the 2019 class. So the two they safeties. did not sign a corner. They signed two safeties. Ronnie Hickman was ranked 115. Bryson Shaw was ranked 575. Mm-hmm. They had Jordan Battle, who was a top 50 national recruit. They had him. They had him committed. And then after Urban, in December, when they announced the Urban retirement and he, day he taking flipped. over, he flipped to Bama. So they lost Jordan Battle, and there was a time when it was like if you were looking at roster building, you would have thought they needed two corners in that class, Battle and another guy. And they were in on another couple other guys. So they never got one of the other guys, even before Urban left. And then Battle leaving, it's almost the opposite of like they lost um, – God, what's the guy's name? Who was the guy who went to Utah? After? Clark Phillips. They lost Clark Phillips because Clark Phillips was so tight with Halfley, mm-hmm. he was committed to the assistant, not to the school. So they lose Halfley, Clark Phillips bails. Jordan Battle, he his assistant didn't go anywhere. But at least was, not right then. He but was an Urban Meyer commitment. And he was he was kind of iffy all the way along. So as a result, when you look at does someone have the scholarship depth chart or scholarship mm-hmm. chart up? Because I had it on I do on one of my tabs here. But you see <laughs> the hole. Million. You see yep. the hole. So run through yeah. by class the corners on this roster. The senior is Marcus Williamson, and then Sean Wade as a, a redshirt ju- junior with seven banks and Cameron Brown, Tyreek Johnson as a redshirt sophomore, and then Watts, Legend Cavazos, and Cameron Martinez. So there's only the only sophomore in the cornerback room is Tyreek Johnson because he redshirted. Yeah. So you see, so like here's where you would see it. And this is, again, like the whole Ohio State thing we're talking about. After this year, they're going to lose Wade and they're going to lose Marcus Williamson. If Seven Banks is as good as everybody wants him to be, he could be a one-year starter and gone. And as soon as you lose Banks, Brown, and Johnson, there's a hole in that class. And now you're down to Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos and Cam Martinez trying to play defense, right? It is very possible that depending how it goes this year, they could really have a hole at corner next year, where that comes to be. So it's going to be the idea of a guy who becomes instantaneously, like, super-duper important is your guy, Legend Cavazos. Yeah. And Ryan Watts, those two corners in this class, because there's no corners in the class above them, Cavazos and Watts are going to have to grow up really fast. Yeah, they're, like... They're not most like they're not going to be like top ten most important list, but like they are like of of like the fifteen early enrollees who actually need to like like start to flash early. Those two, obviously the wide receivers, but like those two are probably next on that list. And Ryan Watts, he had an interception, he picked off C.J. Stroud yesterday, but like those guys need to be ready to like if like if they do rotate this year, 
they need to be ready to to be in. They need to be in a position to do that. And then again, you lost Clark Phillips, who was the top was rated the only corner, guy who actually was a cornerback and was a top rated cornerback in the class. So you flip Legend Cavazos into a cornerback along with Ryan Watts. So to think about that, consecutive years, the top corner they had committed flipped. Jordan Battle, Clark Phillips. Those are two guys you mm-hmm. easily in this string of great corners. You would have easily expected to add those guys to the list. These are future starters at a super important position mm-hmm. where Ohio State has been great. And in two consecutive classes, you lost them. Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts. What they do and then what they recruit in this next class coming behind him. The question is, is there a lasting effect? You cannot take a year off in recruiting. And you will see it. You have to recover immediately. You can recover from a one-year gap if you get the next class behind them and they grow up quick. So Watson Cavazos, if they're ready to start like next year, depending yeah. who leaves, then you can survive it. But if you if you blip or you have bad luck on top of a recruiting hole, you wind up in trouble really quick, except for the transfer portal. So like, <laughs> hey, great. All-American corner. You can always go get the five-star. So, like, that's the thing that changed everything. But I think this is a good question. It's like, yeah, you can see it. Go to our scholarship chart. Google Cleveland.com scholarship chart, and you see the cornerback hole caused by one bad year of cornerback recruiting. From the 804, three guys I'm eyeing in spring are Browning, Brown, and Banks. If all three hit big, the D could be good enough to complement the Ohio State and have Ohio State make the playoff. From the 361, Baron Browning, Nicholas Petit Frere, Josh Proctor. Um, they again, it's like a lot of these guys, right? The people we're talking about who can they turn question marks into they're not just answers, they're great players. My napkins all come from Wingstop. I like Wingstop. It's good. I didn't know they were a great napkin place. My Ohio State question is this. Um, this is my first year of watching college football. I've never gone through the spring process. Is it common to have lots of guys injured? Because to me, it seems like a lot of our guys, especially our starters, are out. Is this normal or something to worry about? Was there anything with the injury list? And maybe just for a point of information, can we run down the list that Jerry Emig sent out? Sure, yeah. Give I, a second. It is very normal, I think, especially for veteran guys, to be dinged in the spring. And here's the thing. There's, a, there's guys, and there's no, I don't know of any specific examples of this, but spring is the time when if there were guys who were hurt at the end of the previous year and they had anything done in the offseason, then it affects you for the spring, but you're going to be 100% fine for right. August. So every now and then, we may not even hear about it, but like a guy gets a knee cleaned up. Yeah. You know, Thayer right. Munford had back surgery last year. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't. We're not saying any of these guys had surgery, but this is the time. This is the recovery period. And as Ryan Day, it's only been two months since they were playing football. So if you had anything at the end of last year, you're still in your recovery period. So I don't think there's any reason to be freaked out. What's the list? And and the and I also want to say that if you go and look at other teams that have started camp and go look at the reports that are coming out of those camps, same thing. Day one is always about who was there and who wasn't and things like that. Uh, unavailable listing was Cameron Babb. Marcus Crowley, Gavin Cup, Josh Proctor, and C.J. Saunders. Um, And I don't know if the Saunders thing would have anything to do with his eligibility, which Ryan Day said will probably not have any clarity until April. But, again, not playing. And obviously he was coming off of injury last season. And then the limited guys, Cam Brown, Baron Browning, Jonathan Cooper, Jalen Gill, Ronnie Hickman, Jaden McKenzie, Taron Vincent, and Sean Wade. But within that group, you had a very wide range of, like, because Cooper and Hickman – 
and um, and Taron Vincent were out there actually doing things. I mean, they were involved in drills. Sean Wade came out and like did some walkthrough stuff. So there's there's a, a the limited guys. It's it's a mix. I'll limit like to the point of the defensive. I mean, this, they're not hitting. They're not in pads. So like they they they're just gonna do like. Defensive yeah. linemen are only going to do like like drill work anyway. But if there's anything like why risk it? Also, it's much yeah. It's not like like Jonathan Cooper is probably the best example of that. Like he doesn't really have anything to prove. He's going to be in like the defensive line rotation next year. Yeah, I mean if you're a really old guy, spring can be really meaningless. <laughs> yeah. That Urban made that point. There are a lot of guys that were held, holding out in springs just because they're like veterans. For what? But, but some of these guys, you know, there's some of them like Marcus Crowley not being there. That's an effect. Yeah. Gavin Cup had a had a walking boot on. He's a fifth-year senior. He would like to be in that fight at left guard with Harry Miller and Matthew Jones, and he's not right he now because he's he hurt. boot on at the end of last season, too. I think this is just a thing that is still in recovery mm-hmm. from whatever happened then. So there's the thing. Sometimes does it affect the team or does it affect the individual guy? Sometimes you can – the individual guy can see his opportunity passing, but for the team it's like, well, we have other guys who are ready. Mm-hmm. Um, JRJ in the 5-1-3, yes on the napkin stack. He, he gets Chipotle, but it's more opportunistic than strategic just because it's so... I did not realize that Chipotle is just open for business on napkins. Yeah. Everyone knows that. I mean, Chipotle is good. It's okay food, but like it's it's got better opportunities to get napkins. Yeah. I you, never I never knew it. That should you be would, their slogan. Chipotle, come get some napkins. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what else is open for business on napkins? Like... Any store. You can yeah. buy like a thousand napkins for a dollar. I'm not buying napkins. I'm going to be honest with you. No, there will be times that when my napkin stack in my car starts to overflow, I'll pull 30 napkins out and bring them in the house. Yeah. And like, like put them on the I'm table. And then my family is like, treats me like I'm a homeless person. Like, no, what are you doing? Why are you putting it. stolen napkins in our house? And I'm like, what? But like, if, if you throw away. Because that's the thing, too. Once you get the stack, you must use the stack. Because yeah. throwing away a clean napkin is it's just killing sin. the earth. You're murdering But why the would earth. I want to go actually buy Like At least like the trade-off. If I go to Chipotle game, I can also get food. Like I'm not just gonna go. Like I've we bought. They pay- sell food at the grocery store too. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like I'm not like not that's ready right away. It's like, who? I'm hungry. Sure Let me do. get a burrito, but and if, then I can also get some napkins. But if you go to the grocery store and get a frozen pizza, and then grab a pack of napkins and go to the checkout, and like you're like, well, I paid for the frozen pizza. I'm just taking it's these napkins. Silly. Right? They'd be like, no, you're not. But if I do it at Chipotle, it's oh, he's just maybe he's a messy eater and needs more napkins. Question: If you go to a gas station, pump gas, can you then just go in and take all the napkins you want i think so as long as you're yeah they're not giving them money in some way sub question are you a household that buys napkins for home separately than just using paper towels as napkins never buy napkins only use paper towels. Have paper towels never, i have never bought napkins a day in my life we have paper towels though yeah yeah only for a party like a decorative napkin yeah, I guess we probably have if some Chipotle of those. Wanted I don't to buy those, but I think they are. I think they exist in my house. Um, RJ in the five one three was wondering. You mentioned last week that Ryan Day fits the mold of every high, head coach in high demand, including in the NFL. That triggered a random question for me. What impact do you think this generation of thirty to forty something year old head coaches? They grew up on video games. What impact has had is that had to growing up calling plays and knowing schemes Holy from Tecmo Bowl and Madden make them better and ready earlier? These coaches were literally calling plays and scheming against defenses in grade school. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'd read a story about it. When do we get quarterbacks? At the end. Oh. Cause it's like but cause the quarterbacks are deep into it. But like, I mean what you know, no. I'm forty six and is- I was playing Madden. 
calling plays in high school. And I'm like roughly but the same like, age as Ryan And video games now are so realistic to where like... Well, uh, quarterbacks have talked about that. I mean, like, that, that's like a... Yeah, like, like I think Gordon Hayward's like, yo, I use... He, Gordon Hayward said he uses 2K to get better at playing basketball. Yeah, no, but I, but it's like, it's the generational thing. What's the first group of guys that did it? So it's certainly, it's not guys who are playing today. Because you were calling plays yeah. 30 years ago. I was in my friend's room. Yeah, I was calling... There's got to be an interesting way to ask Ryan Day. Like, hey, Ryan, we you play Madden? Bad. No, for real. He would. I mean, like, I, I'm sure he would have an answer to that. I wish this person asked this. I could have asked every head coach in the NFL at the Combine. Um, from the 304, <laughs> they go Teron Vincent, Josh Proctor, Baron Browning. I never wear sunglasses, so that's where my napkins go. Easier access than the glove compartment. So I guess, like, oh, some cars have, like, little, yeah, yeah, I like that. Um this is an interesting question, and I, I almost brought it up during the Zach Harrison discussion. Why do you insist that Zach Harrison isn't Chase Young? He played more snaps as a true freshman. Young wasn't dominant until this past season. Harrison's trajectory at this stage is higher. His numbers as a freshman were better, and I bet you a Giordano's pizza they're better as a sophomore, too, barring injury. So the reason I don't do it is because Jalen Holmes, after one practice of Chase Young, said this guy's <laughs> going to be the number one pick in the draft. And you looked at Chase Young the minute he got to campus, and it looked like he was ready for the NFL right then. He also came in a little more hyped than Zach Harrison. Um, also, I think a little more polished. Zach is from a high school that wasn't a football power. So I think I insist that he's not Chase Young because Chase Young was a guy who his teammates predicted would be the first pick in the draft before he had played a college snap and, like, they're going to be right. He's not going to be the first pick in the draft, but he's going to be the first non-quarterback. Yeah, he's so, not going to be the first pick in the path. By just so Zach Harrison is not Chase Young because Chase Young is the maximum, right? Like Chase Young ha- is the maximum of what an Ohio State player can be. He was a five-star recruit. He's going to be a top five NFL draft pick. He was a Heisman finalist as a defensive player. He broke every record at his position. And people, while he played, called him the most dominant player in college football on either side of the ball. So it's like, why isn't? Why am I not thinking of Zach Harrison the same way? Because I'll never think of anybody. It's an unattainable standard. I think when you just look at the numbers, they're not wrong. Like they're very similar numbers. Like Zach had 24 tackles this year. Chase in 2017 had 18. He had three three and a half sacks and five tackles for loss. Zach this year 5.5 tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. Like the so numbers. I, but I like, don't care about the numbers because. Chase was behind four. Right, that's, that's, that's what's good. Like yeah. when you put it in context, it's not the same thing. Like, yeah, Chase looked the part, and like I think there was like a time where you guys were interviewing me. He talked about how like I don't really care about the fact that I look like the part and all yada yada. Like Zach, as a true freshman, doesn't necessarily look like the part yet. I mean, he's very physically imposing. He I is. just think he wasn't as polished as but Chase. But like Chase has looked no. like he was twenty five since he was fifteen. And, and you can't judge Chase's sophomore year because he wasn't himself because of the injuries. So like it's still Chase, had Chase as much was was Chase had a little bit of a weird path in that he was blocked as a freshman and then he was hurt as a sophomore and then he went nuts. So he didn't go as nuts his first two years. I understand, but like I said, to the person I understand the question, but I'll defend the fact of like why I'm not thinking of Zach Harrison the same way because Chase Young is a freak. Seven seven three. Nicholas Petit Frere, the starting corner opposite Wade and the starting safety, the fuller position. Again, they're sort of thinking big picture. Maybe it's Josh Proctor, maybe it's Marcus Hooker, whatever. I was just thinking yesterday, I don't have enough napkins in my car, but I never run out of them. Half the car's weight is napkins. Acquired from much. every establishment, food or otherwise, that might give out napkins. 
I'm very interested. I just love how people explain this napkin thing. Again, it's so uniting. I thought I was alone, a man on an island. It turns out everybody does it. Don't very- you don't you hate the places that have like the flimsy small napkins though? Like the ones who will not oh yeah pony up and give you a real yeah, grown ass yeah. man napkin. They give you these like just tiny <laughs> dainty little things that you can't wipe anything off your fingers with. They don't live up to the standard of a Pete Warner neck napkin. napkin <laughs> That's basically. correct. We want a Pete Warner napkin. I'm very interested to see who develops as the voice of the defense. Leadership on defense is a huge component of success, in my opinion. I'm curious to see who it will be. Browning, Togei, Proctor, because he hits like a Mack truck. This is Charlie from the 773 who asked this. P.S. The text is good. Thanks for all that you do. Happy to be a friend of the podcast. Uh, well, Ryan Day have was, those voices. I Ryan think, Day was talking about like leadership and stuff yesterday. I mean, is it Sean Wade? Who else? Well, Sean Wade, but I mean, you've got Tough Borland, you've got Jonathan Cooper, you've got guys who are captains coming back for yeah, this defense. True. We forget that sometimes, but the, there's guys who are fourth, fifth year guys, multi year starters coming back to to be a part of this defense. I wouldn't be worried about that either. I think they have. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. They have enough guys. Yeah. From the seven oh four, love these two questions. One's from the seven oh four. The second one's from the three two one. From the 704, I haven't seen much coverage yet on the tight quarterback battle between Justin Fields and Gunnar Hoke. Yeah. I know Gunnar is the more senior guy, but I really feel like Fields has the chance to be special. Do you think he will get the chance? I think he might be able to push us past the 9-3 and three record. I foresee if Hoke has the reins. I think he wasted his opportunity by throwing two interceptions in his first practice. I think Gunnar Hoke took the league. <laughs> yeah, Justin Fields is out. From yep. the 3-2-1 then, do you understand or get frustrated by coach speak? For example, last year the quarterback battle was over oh before my. was over before he said it was over. Still debating the backup question. We were still debating the backup question when it was obvious it was Chug. This year smart coach speak would be to tell you guys it's open, then name Hoke. That keeps both the new guys fighting and hopeful. We will not know until or if meaningful minutes are played in terms of who the backup's going to be. If you understand it, then reporters should work around this reality and ease up on your frustrations. This is a shop talk question. So First person made fun of like the field hook battle, and the second person is acknowledging that like Ryan Day is never going to tell us who the backup quarterback is. Here's my thought about all this stuff. I understand why coaches do it, but just because a person says something doesn't mean we have to write it. Yeah. So we're smarter than that. So I never wrote that Justin Fields and Gunnar Hoke were battling no. to be the quarterback. And I'm not, you know, like whatever he says, we know when a coach has to lie. But it's not on the coach. It's on any reporter who just ingests the obvious coach speak lie and then regurgitates it to its audience. We are the synthesizer of information. So maybe you quote the guy and then you say, this is not what is going to happen. He said it, but you can ignore it because here's the real deal. So coach speak is only a problem when reporters refuse to interpret it for their audience. Out. The most important part of our job is perspective and context because if we're just up there typing everything they say and sending it out to you we might as well not be there because you can get that straight from the team yeah so that's super important from the 317 it's nate in the 317 he goes teague vincent proctor for his list i have a napkin stack i'm in outside sales so i find myself needing them all the time i mostly grab them from any fast food restaurant Ohio State question. It really seems like there are a lot of good people on the Ohio State beat. Do you all get along as well as it seems, all despite the competition, or do things get chippy sometimes between outlets? A la the Anchorman fight scene, I'd love to see Tim <laughs> May with a trident. Um, Why a trident? Because that was, uh, yeah, who had the... I saw, I saw a guy with a trident. Um, 
people have sort of asked this before, and it made me tell stories of how like everybody gets along except for me when I'm a jerk to people. <laughs> but you guys, do you? What do you feel about the the beat camaraderie? I think it's pretty. Um, what's my word? Congenial. Is that the right word? It's pretty. Yeah. It, there's there's a good rapport, I think, among the guys on the beat. Um, some of them, uh, you can tell, are, I mean, this is me just coming in from the outside the first year, but there's definitely some pretty close friendships among the people on the beat, even though they're at, you know, competing sites. And you, you spend so much time with these people. Uh, it's, it's very difficult if you, um, have an adversarial relationship with all the people on your beat because you're with them during a season. You're with them all the time. You're sometimes on the same plane as them. It's, it, it gets, you see them a lot. You see them sometimes more than your families at certain times of the year. So, um, and that's more true in some other sports than it is in college football. So, um, yeah, I, I, it, I think this is a, a group that gets along pretty well. I don't think anybody hates each other, but like to your point, you can definitely see who's been here a while on the beat. I think that's the one thing because they, they've clearly built some relationships. I like competition. Sometimes I, you know, I, I would like it if people were fought more. I mean, you don't have to like hate each other to be competitive, though. Yeah, but we can be um, – I think you can protect your beat more or – I don't know. I don't know that I feel a real drive of like people are like out to like um, do better than somebody else. Like everyone's kind of doing their job. I just – and it's like – it is. People get along pretty well. But I'd be, I'd be for like – I'm super ticked at that guy because – he did something. I was trying to get a story, and then he got it, and I didn't like that. You know, I was get whatever. Good. Yeah. I think that's good. I, I, some of that we're not, though, we're, we're supposed to compete. Yeah. But your 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 stance on that changes, I think, a little bit as you get older in this job. Like if you go back five, ten years for me, I think I took some of those things more personally. Whereas now I see it as oh, somebody somebody broke that story. I wish I had broken it, but I didn't. I should try harder next time and they get credit for breaking it this time, you know. I and I I get past the like butthurt emotions of it pretty fast. Well, and, and there's one thing I don't necessarily mean like being like mad at someone because they did their job better than you did on that day. Um I just like to fight. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> From the 513, they went Josh Proctor, Taraja Mitchell, Jamison Williams. That was the only vote for Taraja Mitchell. Um Taraja Mitchell was like splitting middle okay, linebacker yeah, with a lot of tough Orland again, what. and he was outside a little bit. I I can't tell, but that's a question. Browning that I... affects it too. I mean, like if Browning's still in the middle, then Mitchell. How is Mitchell? He's. I got to figure that out more. As we were talking about before, about the do sometimes seniors get the first leg up at the first practice of the spring, Justin that Hilliard. sort of thing. Does that was that a factor there? Will Justin Hilliard still be in the first string linebacker mix? The combination the of, of, of him being a senior, but also Baron Browning being limited. But I all think. three of those juniors were the second team linebackers. And together. it's one of the things, I mean, again, it's like Taraj Mitchell's not young. This is his no. third year. I mean, all this three is not of those like, guys. I mean, it's, it's like go guys. time for those guys, but they really, and the other three, the other two you, you mean are Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope. Yep. That was like a big class of guys, and none of them have really popped yet. And maybe because they haven't had the chance to pop, but. You know, they've, they've had some older guys in front of them. And, like, again, year three is time to go. So uh, that's a very interesting one to watch. But it's like, do they have to have Taraja Mitchell be great for them to be great? No, which is why I don't think a lot of other people mentioned him. But I'm super curious about him. All napkins are from Chipotle. I even have about 10 forks from Chipotle. We're going to be the department. reason why Chipotle completely changes up its security when it comes to it. Yeah, for real. I feel like I want to have someone from Chipotle utensils. on here. 
It's like, yeah, our quarterly earnings report is like, we sold a lot of burritos, but we lost. We spent so much money on napkins. Why isn't guacamole free? Because people keep taking all our napkins. Yeah. What if I want to be? I, I like, might actually be. I want a Chipotle person to come on now. Uh, general question from the five one three: What do you see as a bigger roadblock for a national title, the defense or the running game, and why? Short answer on this: Ooh, defense. I think it's defense, just because uh, defense, the, the yeah. discussion we had, yeah. we think they can win without a great running game. Maybe there's more questions about the running game, but like if your defense stinks, uh-huh. if you're forcing like it's what like this is already going to be a high powered offense. But if like you're constantly putting this offense in a situation where like they got to score, got to score, it's going to come back to bite you eventually. In, in a given week, I think the offense I can compensate do. for the defense having problems. I don't know if this defense can compensate for a week where the offense gets interrupted or shut down. From the three three zero, they did Teague and then Wade, and they were talking about um, Mickey Marotti. Without him, none of this other stuff matters. <laughs> I know it doesn't directly apply, but if he's not there, there's a huge shift. Yes, my glove box is 90% napkins, 5% insurance, registration, and owner's manual, mostly from Chipotle or Taco Bell. We had the thing. I can't remember when it happened. Did we talk about it already? Alabama's strength coach left yeah. to be an on-field position coach we in Georgia. We didn't get into that much last week. Like it it's, a- it's like a theoretical. It's almost like, hey, Ryan Day, would Mick ever want to? Like, I don't think Mickey Marotti has any desire to be an on-field position coach. I've never – but. That was a really interesting move, and, and from every indication you get, you know, the, what Scott Cochran was doing at Alabama, I mean, we all know – I mean, it's not only at Ohio State that the strength coach is like the head coach's right-hand man yeah. and is like in charge of – they're like the off-season coach. They're the guy who can be with the players when the other coaches can't be. Like, it's yeah. a huge job. It was interesting to see how Alabama lost him, and I think we all agree. I mean, yeah, Mick is a huge stink. Oh, Ryan Day would tell you. Mick's a huge deal. Um, from the 706 – they put Teron DeVincent first, then Browning and Wade. Ohio State's in need of a dominant tackle, one that could be a first-round draft pick, SEC kind of tackle, which is kind of like a lingering thing. Those dominant interior guys, great athletes in there. From the 4-4-0, Vincent Crowley, Seven Banks. What do you think is the future of Jalen Gill? Um, again, we sort of went over that already, but it, it's this is – I wanted to get to this because this is what I liked about this one. It seems like Ryan Day prefers true wide receivers – especially with how we're getting these five stars that are great athletes and great wide receivers, I think the Urban Meyer H-back is dead. That Urban initially at least, and it did fade as he got here, but he wanted that H-back to have some running ability because they would run some jet sweeps. And again, when we only mentioned that, or you, you know, when, when Urban I, Meyer got here, we everybody said the Percy Harvin position. Or Percy Harvin ran the ball a lot at Florida. So initially, Urban's idea of an H-back was half a runner, half a receiver. And we are at the point nobody is thinking about that guy in the slot being a run threat. The fact that like they will they'll probably if Garrett Wilson gets his job, they'll use him as a downfield threat from that position is like a prime example of that. That's just I mean, you got to be like it's a side to side like it was what a lot of that spread offense was. And like obviously yeah, you still got to get to the edge and use that speed, but like it's a lot more downfield than it was in like the early 2010s when like a guy like Percy Harvey like dominated when it was more like east west and north south. I do think you want to kill the H-back term. Well, coming from a non-Ohio State centric football terminology perspective, H-back to me was more of a like a tight end fullback hybrid kind of position and everything else is just a slot and sometimes you hand off to the slot more than other teams do but Iowa State last year didn't use H-backs they used slots KJ Hill was a slot receiver that's not yeah. an H-back yeah. they can call it whatever they want but I'm going to start calling it just a slot Josh fair in the, warning Josh in the 3 
Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, and the, the, the cornerback opposite Wade. Um, I have a napkin stack in my car, mostly from Swenson's. It's a Northeast Ohio place that has some uh, Columbus outlets now. Is there any way that Garrett Wilson is so good he doesn't come off the field? Or will there always be a rotation at wideout? So last year we saw that. They didn't have a backup slot. It was K.J. Hill and then tight ends. They have six slots right now. <laughs> I, like, I don't think – I think there will be room for Jalen Gill or Jackson Smith and the Jigbo or Mookie Cooper. But, man, it might not be a split. I don't know. I don't know. I think Ryan Day, I think <clears throat> early in a couple – a few weeks ago talked about, like, Part of the reason, like, obviously, KJ Hill was just too good to take off the field, but also there wasn't a viable option behind him that was good enough to play. I don't think that will be the case this year, where it's like Garrett Wilson is, yes, Garrett Wilson is this good, but also like there is also a guy behind him who is also good enough to play, unlike last year. I joked about this yesterday, but it seems like we've been having these conversations, and every week we find out somebody else new might be involved at the slot, and we're like, "Oh yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba." You know, when you stop and think about that, makes a lot of sense. I'm going to be Garrett Wilson, like, "Oh hey, that makes a lot of sense." Like Garrett Wilson, we really do something. The next week it's gonna be like Dewan Jones lining up in the slot, a big guy in the slot. Think about it; like he's pretty tall. Like he could be a red zone. (laughs) Justin Fields has moved the slot receiver. They did, right? When they were starting to move some guys a little bit around last year, they started putting Austin Mack inside. Yeah. They were trying to get like Chris Olave was like on the field more sort of at the yeah. end of the year. I'm curious how that goes. I don't know that Ryan Day will be quite as is quite as wedded to the like sort of like rotation, straight rotation. And like if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave show that they're like the two guys clearly, I don't know. I don't think they would ever play every snap. And I think, like you said, with KJ, there were a couple things at play there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more depth at receiver there. But I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year when the money's on the table, like Olave and Wilson are out there oh, yeah. two-thirds of the time. And it's not rotating every series. Well, working backwards from that is do you see a scenario here where getting Wilson experience at the slot right now just gives you more options in the fall, not just how you're putting together a lineup, but in the middle of a game. Maybe you decide that the two best matchups are putting him on a slot and another guy on an outside guy in a battle with a corner, but maybe the next game, maybe he needs to go back outside and somebody else can take those slot reps. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to keep him inside. This would be my guess now. This is my, what I've decided based on watching it yesterday, which is what I I thought it looked like. the other outside receiver. So I think the two outside receivers, I think they will rotate four guys at the two outside receiver Mm -hmm. spots. And and we can figure out X and Z, and I think they'll they'll move some guys around still. But I think it's going to be Chris Olave, Julian Fleming, G. Scott, and Jamison Williams. And then inside it's Garrett. And inside for sure. it's Garrett and, and maybe, somebody yes. else. And that somebody else is, is probably either going to be Jalen Gill, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, or Mookie Cooper. Yep. And that will be the rotation. But taking Garrett Wilson out of that outside receiver mix created a spot for somebody else. And it made slot more crowded. But that it, it sort of, to me, helped pull it into focus. Because I think, as the four outside guys... Olave, Fleming, Scott, and Williams makes a lot of sense. Especially, and especially when like <clears throat> your other options, when your options were at slot, were going to be a guy, either a guy that you didn't think was even good enough to rotate or two freshmen. Right. Does this increase the chances of one of these freshman slots redshirts this year? Um, I mean, redshirting it just it it doesn't 
matter. They can play them four games and still redshirt them and whatever. So I don't know. I mean, they want to keep guys engaged. If you're really good, you're not going to be here five years. I think Mookie, Mookie is the one. He didn't play last year. Mookie looked a lot better than a guy who I thought he would for a guy who hasn't played football. And Ryan Day said it. Ryan Day said Mookie Cooper flashed. It was like, Mookie Cooper didn't look rusty after not playing his senior year of high school football. Uh, From the 517 in Jamaica, Vincent, Tyreek Johnson, Jalen Gill, What's more likely, Marcus Crowley wins the running back job or Paris Johnson starts as a true freshman? So, like, well, now, before well, yeah. Master Teague, let's just make it this then. What is the chance, what's your percent chance that Paris Johnson wins the right tackle job? I was at like 55% a couple of weeks ago. I think we, we did, did it. Yeah. yeah. Before, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go up to 65. Yeah, I, I would say at least. Yeah, I would say I'd have to be around 60 just because he's. we've seen now he's getting the 50-50 opportunity to take snaps. Yeah, I mean, if, he, if he's going to get the shot, he easily could have been the second-team guy on day one, and he yeah. wasn't. He was splitting reps, so they're, they're going to have him in the mix. Um, from the 7-3-4, they did Petit Frere, um, the second corner, and then Marcus Crowley. They had Marcus Crowley. They wanted him to be the lead running back even before the Teague injury. I also thought Jalen Harris looked like a man amongst young kids. After the Harley practice last week, that's their sort of end of winter conditioning. Mm-hmm. They do this motorcycle practice, and then they take all the flexing photos with the motorcycle. So Ohio State had them on their on their social media account, and that's one of those things. There are guys who look great in the Harley photo and then never do much on the field. I don't – again, Jalen Harris is a Cleveland guy, rooting for Jalen Harris, great kid, great family, has been here, has had opportunities – it hasn't happened yet. He ran with the ones on the first day of spring practice. That felt like a nod to the seniors. We just ran through who we think the outside receiving guys in the mix are going to be, and we didn't mention him. So he's always – he's 6'5". He's that guy. He looks like Mike Williams, or he looks like T. Higgins, or he looks yeah. like that prototypical guy, in it, and it just hasn't happened yet. From the four one two, they had Teague, Zach Harrison, Josh Proctor. Definitely have a napkin stack. I tend to collect mostly from sheets when I make my trips between Columbus and Pittsburgh. Um, when is it okay to worry about injured guys missing practice? I'm not concerned, but at what point would it be a problem if someone like Browning wasn't practicing? Like I, if it was fall camp, yeah. spring, spring's not. Spring's not? Is that Spring, for you? Spring's, <laughs> Spring's not a concern. <laughs> Spring's not a concern for veteran guys. I, I didn't know that sentence was ending on not. Um, from the 602, they said Tyreek Johnson, Baron Browning, Cade Stover. His move to tight end is very discouraging to me. Year after year, we wonder, is this finally the year for Ohio State tight ends? And the answer is always the same, no. Tight ends are where promising careers go to die, and it bums me out for Cade Stover. I think I agree with that. Like, they moved Cormonte Hamilton from tight end to defensive line. They moved Cade Stover yeah. from, like, linebacker, defensive end to tight end. So he could be what? I mean, if I was going to say to be what? Luke Farrell is a hugely important part of this offense. Hugely important. And then Jeremy Ruckert's, like, the receiving tight end usually. So it's so. like if they're if – they're, I guess this is the caveat to that. We It's easy to think about tight ends as – Pass catchers. That's when they're important. A tight end is on the field a lot for Ohio State. A tight end's on the field probably 85% of the time for Ohio State. He's just not catching the ball a lot. He's blocking a lot. Luke Farrell is really important. And if you tell me they're moving Cade Stover to tight end to make him the next Luke Farrell, I will tell you that is a super important role. I will say, though, going back to the conversation we just had a couple minutes ago, Cade Stover sounds to me like 
that body type, that athleticism, that sounds exactly like what an H-back is in general football parlance. Like somebody who could play one of those kind of hybrid tight end fullback kind of positions. So maybe there's a role for him if they ever decide to use that. Um, I also would say, though, if you look, I mean, they've got two senior tight ends this year and a junior who it's not out of the realm of possibility could have draft considerations. And then there's not a lot left in that tight end room. So they need some depth there. They, yeah, they'll have him. they got a true freshman who'll join in the fall. In the fall. But not like four star recruit type tight ends right now. No, I, I don't. I understand what the person is asking, but it does feel like to what you're saying. There's a, there's actually a chance for Stover. To, who? Yeah. I don't think they move Cade Stover to tight end to bury him. I think they maybe move Cade Stover to tight end because they think he's a good athlete with multiple positional skills, mm-hmm. and they need him there. Um, I think they're I think they're genuinely trying to find a place to use him. Free Demario was the continuation from the six oh two. I just want him to play somewhere. I love his moxie. Napkins in my car. I never have more than two. My OCD won't allow it. But more often they're not they're from Starbucks. So you don't want the napkin pile. Someone began this was the only vote that this guy got. Began his list with Drew Chrisman. Most important guy for the spring. Continuing on Urban Meyer's take of needing to win special teams. Um, as far as napkins go, thank you so much, Chipotle. A, for your guacamole. And B, for providing me with napkins to get me through college at Ohio State. Also, a recommendation. I would recommend all listeners to check out cluck a doodle Do Wings near the Chipotle on High Street. So maybe this person gets the wings there and then goes in Chipotle and gets the napkins. Um, I think maybe this person is Drew Chrisman. I think maybe Drew Christman subscribes to the texts and put in a vote for himself as the most important guy. Um, from the 513, Teron Vincent, Josh Proctor, Master Teague. I 100% have a napkin stack. I have a ton from Chipotle. Um, if you could cover another team, who would it be and why? Let's make another college football program. Who would you want to cover? I mean, at this stage of my life, it's about like where I would want to live more than like the the – the program, I guess, but it is nice covering a program that's really good. Um, God, that's a great question. Um, go ahead. Well, I'm thinking. I would say maybe Texas. Austin seems like a really cool place. Um, I also really like Minneapolis, which a lot of people probably wouldn't. That's oh my favorite my. Big Ten city. So if I had to cover another Big Ten team, it would be Minnesota. I want to go USC. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a good vote. It's the it's the it's the same type of like as far as like people really care, but they're in. A, no, 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 I don't know about that. Okay, they're I, in a I, polar I, opposite position than where Ohio State is, and it'll be interesting to cover a team who's that dysfunctional right now. People, I think people in college football care about USC. I don't think anybody in Los Angeles. No, that's what I mean. Like USC. as far as like in the college football landscape, not just like uh, people in like Los Angeles see them, but like. The fact yeah. that like this is another historical this is a historical program who is like in a polar opposite position to where Ohio State is and it'd be just interesting to see how like that to cover that. I mean, you can absolutely make the argument that Ohio State is the best college football program to cover for a variety of reasons. Yeah. For instance, Clemson is in a smaller city than Columbus and I wouldn't, you know, Clemson you get to cover the big stuff, but it's it's in Clemson, South Carolina, which yeah. is not Columbus, Ohio. Alabama, I've been like, to Tuscaloosa. I think I think Saban would just be difficult to deal with in the same way that Harbaugh is difficult to deal with. And Urban Meyer and Ryan Day have never been close to that difficult to deal with. Access is really important. If you feel like you want to do good work, if you can't ever interview anybody, if you can't ever interview – Saban doesn't let his assistant coaches talk ever all year. They get to talk about the bowl game and that's it. Um, Michigan's access is awful. 
So to be like, if you're, if you're what you wanted, and I always say you can do good work. You can't judge yourself on how good your team is because you can't control it. But to like leave Ohio State and go cover somebody who's not in the mix ever, because covering teams in the playoff mix is just fun and interesting, and it opens up a whole new avenue of stories, but that you also have good access. I think it would be great to cover like SEC stuff. Maybe Kirby Smart at Georgia. I don't know what access is like there. But to cover something in the SEC where like you're surrounded by the talent, right, and the recruiting that comes right. with that, maybe somewhere like Georgia. I just wouldn't want to do Bama because I don't think I'd want to deal with Saban. I don't know if Saban and I would get in a fight every week. I, I mean, I could – I could imagine a world where we would. Like if he – because I don't think I would stop asking the stuff that maybe he wouldn't want me to ask. Right. And I think it might be awful. Like I think everybody would might hate it or he would stop talking to me. Right? Yes. Most likely, yes. Or, yeah. or Harbaugh too. I think that would be an interesting oil and water. Harbaugh I mean I have enough fights with Harbaugh without That was, that was entertaining right? last year. And that, you guys weren't there for the real one. I mean, like there was one like four years ago. The last oh, last oh. year was nothing compared to the one before, because it was the time when, like, in the off season, like tw- Harbaugh tweeted about like Gene Smith and said like it was something about he he like went after Gene Smith, and I just thought it was like, why are you going after an opposing athletic team director, athletic director? Yeah. Right. And it felt like I was like standing up for Ohio State as like an Ohio State homer, but I basically just asked him like seven questions, like why are you such a jerk all the time? I didn't use that word. But it's like, why are you the way you are? Why why do you think it's okay to just, like, go after people? And we just, like, it would not stop. Someone's got to tell that guy he's a jerk. And I tell anybody they're a jerk. It's not because he's the Michigan he's coach. He's probably listening. He's a jerk. I hope he is, and I hope he comes on the podcast. I'd get in fights with him. God. But they had no access. There's no chance to get a fight. Like, they yeah. didn't talk to – they didn't – they went from doing – like, they didn't do any signing day thing this year. They went from the thing where they had Tom Brady and Lady Gaga and the Teenage Newton Ninja Turtles at the frickin' first Michigan thing. <laughs> they did not have interviews for their signing day class in December or February. That's insane. How can you cover a team that way? Shame on you, Michigan. God. And notice, I mean, every, everything I've heard, Ann Arbor is actually a pretty great place to live. You see it on rankings and stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but it's like, I would never, but I, but to go back to what I was saying yeah. before, like, it's a pretty big time program and a really good place to live. It's still in the Midwest. And yeah. I, I would not cover Michigan, I don't think. From the 330, Marcus Crowley, Josh Proctor, Harry Miller are the runaway winners. Um, and that they will be, if they, if they are great, the Bucks will be great. Marcus Crowley, Josh Proctor, Harry Miller, no napkin stack. So it wasn't 100% napkin stack, but definitely, like, I didn't tally up the napkin stack thing. I'd say at least 70% on napkin stack. Will the players have more of a competitive spring than in the past with open competitions? I think when there's no, when there's no returning starter, it changes the vibe of everything in the room, right? And so that's just, that's just a good thing in a lot of ways. I think this will be a very energetic spring. 706, do you think the offense has offensive line has so much depth they could do what Trestle used to do? You play the second team on a couple series each quarter or at least one series. Let's address I, I don't think they will do that. It was kind of a wrinkle that Trestle liked to throw in there in some some iffy games to just he just put the backup line in like on the third series wholesale. Um do they have great depth on the offensive line? So the question is like they're they're two they have two highly ranked guys at left guard, Harry Miller and Matthew Jones. They're both top one hundred recruits battling for left guard. And then they have Petit Frere and Paris Johnson, two top 10 recruits battling for right tackle. The backup offensive line when we watched, when I was watching the offense, the other backups at left tackle was Dewan Jones as a sophomore. The second team center was Luke Whippler as a true freshman. 
Because Harry Miller, who probably would, if Harry Miller doesn't win the starting guard job, he's going to be the backup center. Right. I think we all think Harry Miller's going to win the starting guard job. And similarly, and if something if, were to happen yeah, to he'll, Josh he'll, Myers, he'll, he would be the starting yeah, center probably. Center. And then the backup right guard was Ryan Jacoby from Northeast Ohio, who was another second-year guy. So, um, you know, Matthew Jones, is, this is his third year. He's a highly ranked guy. I think that's a pretty good guy to probably have as your third guard if he doesn't win a spot. You know, Whipplers next up. Right in this whole thing, and I wrote about it last year, having too many centers. When Harry Miller is a center next year, Luke Whipple will be the guard and the backup center. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I so I think it is a pretty good line. I don't think they'll do this, but in general, should they feel good about the the depth on the offensive line? Well, the conversation you were having before about when you miss in recruiting, how you have to get it back that next year. The one where you really almost can't do that sometimes is the offensive line. If you miss a year, you cannot usually address that immediately with true freshmen because. It's rarely a spot, as we've seen, we've been talking about Paris Johnson so much, that you're going to get guys to come in right away. And I've been pretty impressed since I've been here. We just look at the the consistency that Ohio State's been bringing in, guys who can start yeah. pretty early in their career. That kind of like benefited from like getting that once in a generation, but like to help him get back on track because he's like doing his thing recruiting the offensive line. They had a miss though. Like right yeah. before you got here, like their whole thing was they did miss. They, they missed. had a bad year. And like he came back with some five stars and then he got. Paris, along with a deep class, and he's looking like he's doing the same thing in twenty. But there were there were a lot of questions but about you, you really feel as when you miss a year on the yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Nine three seven. They went Tyreek Smith, Josh Proctor, and one of the emerging corners. Who do you think is the most important assistant coach over the next three or four years? Over the next three or four years, um, Corey Dennis, uh, Kerry Combs. I'd say Kerry Combs. I think Hartline's in there. Like continuing this receiver thing. Um, The good thing is, though, with the success they just had, they're still going to be pretty good. And the the ones that are bringing in for 2021, they've got a nice glut here that carries them through the next year. Actually, no, I'm going to change mine because Ryan Day is going to be the reason why quarterbacks come here. Larry Johnson. That's one of those. I was like, do you assume Larry Johnson is going to be here three or four years from now? I mean, that's maybe why I wouldn't say Johnson, but I think keeping Combs and having him be around and run this defense – and recruit, keep the the cornerback pipeline going. I, th- I I would vote for him. From the six one five, Ruckert, Browning, Gill, napkin stacks exclusively Wendy's, and they are the go to dad tissue paper to wipe runny noses, but also rub the skin raw. It's a double edged sword. Totally relate to that. I blow my nose on napkins all the time, and it hurts like a mamma jamma. General Ohio State question: Who is next in line after Gene Smith? Any heir apparent we should watch? Yes, there is. It's Pat Chun, who is Gene Smith's like second-in-command dude. He left to be the athletic director at Florida Atlantic. Um, he hired Lane Kiffin, and now he is the athletic director at Washington State. And um, he was college roommates with my old neighbor. So um, I think Pat Chun is probably up you? next. <laughs> that was random. But Pat Chun... <laughs> Pat Chun's a good guy. He had good relationships with people here. You know, all, all of us in the media who's covered Ohio State for a while all know Pat pretty well. Um, that's what he wants to be. And, you know, whenever Gene Smith decides to retire, they'll do a national search. But one of the better things that Gene Smith has done on a, on a very good resume of things that he's done, he develops people. Um, Heather like I, I don't know if it's Catalano or Calatano. I think it's Catalano. She's the AD at Pitt. 
he developed her. Ben Jay, he, he left Ohio State to be the AD at Hawaii. He developed Ben. Ben's not the AD at Hawaii anymore, but um, Martin Jarmond at Boston College. Mm-hmm. Martin is another guy that you would put at the top of that list with yeah. Pat. Pat's been doing it a little bit longer. Martin just went to BC a couple years ago. Um, but it, Martin is a very dynamic guy. Uh, he understands how to like to promote an athletic department and that kind of thing. Um, Martin is going to be – Martin and Pat are both going to be ADs at big-time programs. And I think they both want the Ohio State job. So, you know, not knowing the list of other great ADs out there that have no connection to Ohio State but would want this job, with what Gene Smith has done in this department – and the way that he has groomed talent and then sort of sent those people off into the world. Um, he has a great tree. He has a great AD tree. And so when his time ends here, they are going to have a raft of people who have connections to Ohio State, who understand the Ohio State way of doing business, and are going to want to come back here and follow in Gene Smith's footsteps. So that was a really good question. I, I, I you know, there, it's just especially in a world where Ohio State's athletic department they haven't had a black head coach, but they've had really good development of prioritizing that kind of thing. It's not just a bunch of white guys. And he is taking people, he is giving opportunities to, and sending them out in the world. And if I, you know, if you run through a list of people who are like not white guy ADs in the country, a lot of them have connections to Gene Smith. And it is a thing that Ohio State prioritizes and is really good at. And it makes a difference and it, and it, and it makes the next pipeline of people. And so they have that pipeline out there. From the 740, Tyreek Johnson, Marcus Crowley, Tron Vincent. No napkin stack, but I do keep to keep a couple folded up paper towels in the map pocket. Um, how well will the defensive coverages be adjusted by Combs? We've kind of done this before. They're talking about the backpedal and break on the ball kind of defense that worked well last year. Um, if Combs isn't a disciple of that, can he really coach it and implement it well? I just go what Kerry Combs says, which is he learned so much in the NFL. He's not a one-trick pony when it comes to defense, and they have to run what Ryan Day wants to run. So I would not be I would not be worried about that. Um, a lot of we already ran through the list. Um, oh, you know what? I'm going to put this on the list, Nathan, for the questions of in the future to add to. Um, I want to acknowledge this person from the 708, and I figured this out. I wrote a Malik Harrison story this week, and I and I want to delve into this more. General Ohio State question. In your time covering Ohio State, who is the one player you expected more from but was ultimately under underperformed? I want to investigate turning five stars into great players. Um, Ohio State, I wrote about Malik Harrison because he wasn't a five-star. But when you look at the five stars that Ohio State has sent through here, you can't ever take it for granted. Just because Chase Young and Jeff Okuda did it, you can't assume it. There's a lot of work that goes in to making a five-star recruit into a great NFL prospect. And I want to investigate how well Ohio State's done that compared to everybody else. Let's look at the last 10 years of teams getting five stars. What happened to them? Did they become All-Americans? Did they become high NFL draft picks? I didn't look this up because I ran out of time, but like, there's not a ton. You know, like Tyreek Johnson's like a five-star who hasn't done anything yet. He'd be on in contention for a list like this. But it's not like Ohio State has a habit of having five stars come in who then don't really turn out very well. Is so it, we're going to add this to the list. Is this here. class like the extreme of that question, this 2018 class? Because it's so – as like since you've been here, have you – has an Ohio State recruiting class had this deep of guys where it's like you're in your third year and we're just still not sure? Um, 
I mean, it's like they haven't had classes quite this good mm-hmm. before, which is the thing. It's like they stacked two number two classes in the country on top of each other. And what happened is the first class blocked the second class. So all the Jeff Okudas and Chase Youngs of the world mm-hmm. blocked Tyreek Smith and Seven Banks. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it kind of – I mean Tyreek Smith played, but you know what I'm saying. It's like I don't, I don't remember what Taraja Mitchell was – ranked but it's like how how disappointed you can really be about Taraja Mitchell when he's got three guys starting in front of him that have just been here this whole time now four if you include Baron Browning like there's just a glut right in front of those guys it's it's hard to break through sometimes it's just kind of the the bad luck of of certain things that happen I wanted to get this from the 415 I've walked into a Starbucks to get a coffee paused to put soy milk in it grabbed the stack of about 200 napkins and walked out I thought that was a baller napkin story. Um, we ran out of time. I got, I, I listed, I organized stuff this week. I prepped. Um, we really can do, like, there's a lot of questions you guys send that I would call, like, evergreen. Like, they can be answered now or they can be answered in June. And we're going to start just doing a good job of compiling those, the best ones, and coming back and just giving you guys a full question and answer podcast. Final one we'll get to from the 614. They said, Teron Vincent, Sean Wade, Master Teague. No napkins in the car, but I don't eat in the car, which I can't relate to. Yeah, no. I'm going to eat in my car. My napkins almost exclusively come from Chipotle Go. Love their versatility and toughness. They're describing a Chipotle napkin like you would describe an Ohio State linebacker. (laughs) Did this first practice answer any questions you had about the team going into the offseason? I'm sure you'll discuss more on the pod, but just how good are these receivers? So the first one is... One time to watch a two-hour practice, what got answered for you? I mean, like fully answered? I mean, like, okay, bring up like Seven Banks, for example. Like, do I think there's more there than I did before I saw him yesterday? Yes. Do I think I know for sure that he's an answer as an outside cornerback? I don't know if I should say that yet. I think with receivers, it's always easiest to get that answer just because they get a lot of one-on-one opportunities. Jackson Smith and the Jigba is as explosive as like his highlight reel will tell you. Um, whatever Mick had Julian Fleming doing the last two months clearly worked because he did not look like that two months ago. Um, he didn't look like that about the first time we talked to him on signing day. Uh, and then like Mookie Cooper, like we, we've already kind of talked about, like for a guy who has not played in a football game in a year. I mean, he didn't look like he'd lost a step at all. And G. Scott looked pretty solid as well. So, like, the, the, the wide receiver thing is always going to be the easiest thing to be able to, like, judge. Like, they're as good as, as advertised, at least in a one-practice setting. It's I, I think the second part of the question, you know, which you sort of got into, how good are these wide receivers? I think these receivers are on a super high end of how ready they are yeah. getting here. And, of course, Mick gets his hands on you and he changes your body. But, like... Julian Fleming is as good of a receiver as Pennsylvania has seen in years. Jackson Smith and Jigba was catching 20 passes a game. G. Scott is coming from a world with a family that understands the NFL. Mm-hmm. That kid is like a grown man. He gets it. They have a lot of guys who seem ready. The test of this is going to be sometimes you can be really ready when you get here, but then how do you develop once you're here? Yeah. Do you have the skills and the attention to detail and the toughness and the work ethic that you take it to the next level? So you're not just some guy who is ready as a freshman, but you you turned into an All-American candidate as a junior. So I think these receivers are going to be 
as ready as any group we've ever seen, which is not a surprise. But the thing that answered for me is going back to the thing that has blown me away and I can't stop thinking about moving Garrett Wilson to the slot. It feels like everything dropped into place with how they're going to deploy these guys. And part of it is like, well, they have so much. Can they have too many? What are they going to do? I'm just envisioning how dynamic this receiver rotation can be, and I want to double back on one thing as part of that. And in the end, and you, you sort of wrote a story about this, Nathan. This is a combine thing. And, of course, you, you write what the guys are saying and stuff. You wrote about how Austin Mack and Ben Victor and K.J. Hill were, like, going to have a contest to see who could run fastest at the combine. And it was, like, Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell the year before set the combine on fire. Then they ran. Right. And they weren't fast. No. At all. Which is not a surprise, and it's not a shot at them. Right, but and that was the, the 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 thing about the three of them going and setting the thing on fire. That was almost something more that we brought up than they brought up. They brought up that they were going to have this little bet about who could run fastest. I don't think any of them were saying I'm going to come out here and run a four three. Just to be fair, yeah, and I'm not taking a shot at those guys, but I did see like a couple national guys. Who was like, well, what's up with these Ohio State receivers? And it's like anybody who knows Ohio State at all could tell you what's up. What's up is last year they had a bunch of fast guys. This group of guys are solid, right. but not great. But wait till you see what's coming, mm-hmm. right? So it's a final reminder of like going to the combine. They were fine coming to spring practice, watching what they're doing. I think how dynamic this receiver group will be compared to a year ago. Wilson a year older, and then you just have like if Jamison Williams of developed getting it. He caught a deep ball, yeah, in practice. It was like, man, that guy looks. <laughs> Good running under a deep ball. You can see even Johnny Dixon, even Terry, now Terry McLaurin went nuts in the NFL, but he was a late bloomer a little bit at Ohio State. We all knew it. We all expected it. But to me, day one of spring practice confirmed it. There is going to be a level of elite dynamic talent at receiver that is just going to take things to the next level. And it's going to be in an offense is going to take advantage of it. Because, yeah, Jim Trestle had Santonio Holmes, Anthony Gonzalez, and Ted Dinkin Jr. And he had Troy Smith throwing to him, too. But that offense still wasn't exactly built like this offense is going to be. My takeaway would be everything you think you thought about the receivers. Yeah, that's changing. Is right. Like, like what you expected, your expectations were not too high. Get ready. Not at all. Get ready. And, like, they've got the dude... Justin Fields, accuracy. That's the key to all this. Like, poise, understanding, reading a defense, the arm. That guy is the exact quarterback to take advantage of all the things that we saw on display. For and the two control, hours. like he's going to be able to, like Ryan, they talked about, like we're in year two, we're going to be able to like go into details in a way that we couldn't do last year. The type of control he's going to have over this offense. So listen, I don't, that. I don't know how long that podcast was because we cut it up into like five different parts. And I don't know if we're at three hours. I don't know. I don't know. But however long it was, we appreciate you guys listening. And again, a final request, reminder, um, now's a good time. I think people liked it. We were hitting you with the stuff. We're going to have – there's at least, I think, 11 times in spring practice where we are going to interact with the Ohio State football program. Whether it's watching a practice, whether it's talking to Ryan Day, whether it's talking to every position group. And when we talk to those position groups, we talk to all the most important players and the coach there. 
And we are going to text you the most important news that we get from those things. Most of those are going to be like late morning. So you'll be getting this stuff at work. We won't be breaking you, waking you up at the crack of dawn. We're going to tell you the most important stuff happening with these players and what these coaches are saying about this is information time. This is it. This is the least that we know and the most that we're going to learn. This is it. This is the time. Almost more than the season. This is the time to get in on this friend of the pod situation. 614-350-3315. If you're listening to this, just text that. 614-350-3315. You'll get an opportunity to sign up in a very easy way. And just like Chipotle. You know what the next 14 days is? Free napkins, baby. Let us be your free napkins. And then, if you like the free napkins... Buy our burrito. Here's why this today, as you're hearing this, is the best time to try the two-week free trial. We've got a week now here where we're going to get another practice tomorrow. So we'll have some information coming out of tomorrow. And then next week... Of Wednesday. Of Wednesday. Wednesday, yes. Wednesday. Wednesday. Sorry. Correct. Wednesday of this week. And then next week, it's spring break at Ohio State. We don't have any access to the football program. But our number one job right now is making this text service a value to those of you who subscribe. So if you take the free 14-day trial and we don't follow through next week and make it a valuable commodity for you next week, then you cancel and no harm. But if you find that it has value next week when there's no interviews and probably not a whole lot of news coming out, then you know that it's going to be really good when uh, things really jump up. 614-350-3315. Give us a shout. We certainly appreciate it. We appreciate you guys being friends of the pod. And if you want to support your friends, give us money. That's what I do to my friends. I give them money all the time. And then as soon as I stop giving them money, they're not my friends anymore. I don't know what happens there. But 614-350-3315. Thanks to you guys uh, for hanging in on this podcast. We had a lot of fun making our lists. We had a lot of fun interacting with the list that you guys made. Um, We will be back next week with the next Buckeye Talk. Coverage all week at cleveland.com. But for now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.